Speaking of what the hell is this, that is the title of the first review that comes up on IMDb for Repo Man. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 1000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that is a celebration of weird movies and sometimes other things. Sure. My name is Brad Hefner, and with me as always is... Billy Martell. And this week, we watched my all-time favorite movie, Repo Man. Yes, this is our 10th episode celebration. Yes, uh, yeah. we made it 10 episodes <laughs> in uh, almost a year. <laughs> what fucking... 2020! The fecundity of our output is amazing. Um, I don't even know what fecundity is. Fertility. Ferti oh, okay, sure. But fecundity sounds dirtier to me. <laughs> Fecundity. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, I wanted to do a sort of a landmark weird movie for 10. Sure. Uh, and also a movie that very much impacted me as a young boy. Right. This is the movie that, without me really realizing it, uh, starred me on my hunt for weird things. Sure. I saw Repo Man, and the way I found it is Amazon used to have this feature... They had two features. One was called Listmania, mm -hmm. and the other was called So You'd Like To. Mm. And Listmania was just lists of books, and they could write notes, or books, movies, whatever, sure. recommendations. So if you were on the page for Fight Club, right, it would show you lists that featured Fight Club. So if I was oh, looking, so kind of like IMDb with their like top actresses of this top actor like, yeah. they feature. So people would make lists of like, well, if you liked Fight Club. You'll mm -hmm. like these books. Sure. Or if you like whatever, you'll like this movie. Right. And that is must have been how I found Repo Man, because that's how I found a lot of stuff. Sure. And those features are no longer on Amazon. Those are long gone. Which sucks, because that sounds like a great feature. It was awesome. I found so much stuff as, I a, as a kid. I spend so much time, more time on Amazon if I could make my own lists of things. Yeah, it's Holy great. Shit. And it was, it was nice because you can make lists on, like, Letterboxd or whatever, but... Sure. When you were doing it on Amazon, like, you would know that it was something that was available. Right. Amazon's also a fucking terrible company. Oh, yeah. No, they're they're evil in itself. Yeah. yeah. But we're living in capitalist society. We are living in a nightmare. We're fucking terrible media consumers. So. We are terrible media consumers. This entire podcast is a conceit of... Of a broken society, yeah. Uh, but then again, I'd like to see it as a celebration of art. It is, it is a art. celebration of art. That's uh, a non-commercial, usually. Sure, it would, should art should be non-commercial, but that's an entire thing. But to watch the movies and do the research and stuff that we do for the show, we must consistently we support a terrible, yeah, society that we currently live in. Every day is a nightmare. Exactly. <laughs> But, uh, so that's how I found Repo Man, and I watched it, mm -hmm. and this is where my love for Harry Dean Stanton grew out of, and that led me to a lot of other movies like Paris, Texas, and any, things like that. Any I had person unknowingly... who has put eyes on Harry Dean Stanton in any movie, whether they know who it is or not, loves Harry Dean Stanton. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And we'll talk about him he more a little bit later. eminently lovable. But I watched it, and I was like, 
that was fucking amazing. Yeah. I need to find something else as good as that. Good luck. Yeah, and so that that's what started me on this quest of weirdness of like, mm-hmm. show me more ultra shit that I can yeah. dig on. Give give my eyeballs something they haven't give, been given before. And it wasn't like a lightning bolt, like when I saw Eraserhead a few years later, where I was like, holy shit, my mind just got completely fucked. I'm yeah, you, I'm sad now. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? You have before stated Eraserhead was like the watershed moment for you of, of weird. It, it was where I first really woke up to this idea of like, I just saw something that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. I need that feeling again. Right. Repo Man did that to me unknowingly. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's a much it's, more subtle thing. It's almost a conventional narrative. Yes. Almost, but it's, it's not. It's the energy, it's the uh, the wit of it, it's a lot of things. But if you have never heard of Repo Man, Repo Man is a 1984 movie. It is not Repo the Genetic Opera. No. And it is not Repo Men. No. It is Repo Man, directed by Alex Cox. Mm-hmm. In case you missed our last episode, in the last couple minutes of our last episode, the way that we handled this one is Brad did a whole bunch of research. Obviously, it's his favorite movie, so he's watched it a ton of times anyway. Probably could have just acted out the movie in front of me here. (laughs) But uh, he he did all the research, he took all the notes, and then he came here and he showed the movie right before we turned on the microphone. So I am coming into this in a much more immediate reactive way than I usually do yeah uh, so, so that's 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 a little bit of a difference of how this is done how this episode is being done obviously Brad recommends this movie obviously but yeah. to uh, to sort of try to summarize repo man okay yeah it's a 1984 movie mm-hmm. uh, sort of an adventure comedy about mm-hmm. a young punk named Otto mm-hmm. who sort of accidentally becomes a repo man. And there is a Chevy Malibu out there with alien corpses in the trunk that mm-hmm. has a $20,000 reward on it for whoever can find it. Mm-hmm. And that is the crux of the movie is finding this Chevy Malibu. Although not really. It's more just the incidents in the life of Repo Men. Yeah, that's almost a subplot is what you just described yeah. the movie. It's it, Yeah, so uh, I absolutely recommend this movie like i i i was nervous going into this because brad has been telling me about this movie and trying to get me to watch this movie since we met like this has been a huge deal so whenever anybody hypes up a movie to you that much you can't help but be nervous what if i don't like it what if it's great but i just don't appreciate it because i'm expecting you like the moon so I tried to go into this as as as, as expectation free as possible, and uh, wow, this is a great movie. This is a great fucking movie. It is not a perfect movie by any means. There are certainly things where we can discuss whether or not this movie is brilliant on purpose or not. Mm-hmm. But um, I greatly enjoyed it, and I, I have to say that while I enjoyed it all the way through, the ending of the movie really put it over the the moon for me. Like I I thought the ending really encapsulated the whole movie in a way that few endings do. And much like the best of movies that we talk about on this show, it is an ex- the experience of watching this movie is an experience I don't think I can find in any other film. 
Yeah, that's this, this that's, is a unique film. That's exactly it. It yeah. is a very singular film, and that's why I love it so much. Is because this is, yeah, and the director was never really able to capture that energy again. Not that he was necessarily mm-hmm. trying to with his other films. It's a lightning in the bottle situation, yeah. like the original Ghostbusters. It, it cannot be recaptured. Exactly. It's yeah. It's just it's it's very a singular cinematic experience. I do have a bone to pick with you, though. Yes. So, in the previous version of this podcast, which I don't think can be found anywhere right now. I don't believe so. Okay. There was an episode where we talked about a movie that I am very fond of, uh, Jubilee, which is a movie made by punks in England during, like, the early English punk era. Yes. And you negatively compared this movie to Jubilee, uh, compared Jubilee to this, saying this was a real punk movie, whereas Jubilee felt like a poser punk movie to you. Yes. And I I have issue with that, because I think that Jubilee is just as punk, if not more punk, than this movie. Because while this movie is, it definitely is punk. Yes. It's definitely punk, but... Like a lot of the complaints that you had about Jubilee, like the, the the commentary that they had being way too obvious and on the nose and stuff like that, can also be applied to this movie. Well, why don't you, if you can remember, because okay. you didn't take notes, I did not. When when those moments pop up, where okay, or we're in the general vicinity of the areas where you're like, sure. Well, this is just as obvious. This is just as on the nose. Sure. Tell me about it. Okay. Punk. My 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 only point is that punk to me is not subtle <laughs> no it's not but what I what Repo Man does that I especially appreciate is while being 100% pure punk yeah, this is one of the most punk movies ever made it's hand in hand with John Waters Pink Flamingos and much less eating of dog shit though. yes uh, and I'm sure you could apply it to a bunch of like movies that I have not seen like Necromantic I'm sure is punk in its own way. Uh, I would put in uh, a lot of the works of the um, the trauma trauma films. Yeah, it, very punk. But what I love about this one is not only is it punk in aesthetic and energy and structure, mm-hmm. it's punk in its soundtrack. It's punk, yes. and it also fucking skewers the punk ideals and lifestyles. Sure. So it becomes punk because it's saying fuck you to punk at some point. Right, right. It's the old joke of someone asks what is punk and the guy kicks over a chair and says that's punk. So the other guy kicks over a chair and says that's punk? He said no, that's trendy. (laughs) So at a certain point by the very nature of the punk ethos it has to eat its own tail. Exactly. Because you have to say fuck you to anybody who tells you what to do including the punk movement itself. But Jubilee never seemed to acknowledge the sometimes ridiculousness and hyperbolic nature of its own dialogue and ethos. Okay. I I thought that was the entire point of the movie. <laughs> I don't know. This is not an episode about Jubilee. No. <laughs> I just I just I was just being petty. It's fine. <laughs> but so Jubilee's yeah. awesome. Go watch it. Brad hates it. Yeah, I was not a fan. <laughs> Watch Repo Man, though. Oh, absolutely watch Repo Man. And this episode is going to be more information-heavy than usual. So, obviously, we're going to be getting into spoilers. 
Absolutely. Go watch Repo Man. It's 100% worth it. And there's a... It's a classic cult movie. Yeah. If you're into cult movies, you've most likely seen Repo Man. Mm-hmm. But go fucking watch it again. It only gets yeah. better. No, it's, it's... If you... If you like watching weird movies, even if you don't like necessarily like watching weird movies, like some of the movies we've talked about, or like Eraserhead or something like that, if you just like watching, like, weird B sci-fi movies, like, uh, I don't know, like Fright Night or something like that, you will get something out of this. Yes. But it's not like Fright Night, but you will get, it's, it's, that's the closest parallel I can come to it. Where it's about like a character, kind of getting thrust into a, a a spooky situation, be that's beyond him. Yeah, and it's uh, hilarious. Oh yeah, like it's just one of the funniest movies it's I've ever seen. Really fucking funny. Let's talk about the director. Sure. Let's sort of give a big picture uh, idea of Alex Cox. Alex Cox. He was twenty nine when he made Repo Man. Mm-hmm. British. He was attending UCLA before he made Repo Man. Other movies he's made: Sid and Nancy. Mm-hmm. Which I have not seen. Neither have I. Uh, that was Isn't one that Gary Oldman in that. Gary Oldman, yes. Yeah. And Alex Cox has sort of a stable of regulars. Uh, a lot of the side characters of, who appear in this do. also appear in his other movies. So, mm-hmm. um, Fox Harris, Cy Richardson. Sure. I'm not sure about Cy Richardson. I know Fox Harris is in Sid and Nancy. Okay. Straight to Hell, which we may talk about someday. Sure. Which is his spaghetti western punk rock uh, casted uh, thing <laughs> starring Courtney Love ugh. that's not good from what I remember I'm contractually obligated to go ugh, every time someone mentions Courtney Love I don't blame you Yeah. and then his last major studio release was Walker a fictionalized account of William Walker's filibustering expedition into Nicaragua fascinating it's I think from what I remember watching it a while back, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Joe Strummer does the soundtrack. Sure. It's pretty good, but it did not have any box office impact. Right. So Alex Cox sort of fell from grace in Hollywood after Straight to Hell, yeah. after this. And an aborted attempt at making a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas adaptation. That would come about uh, towards the other end of the decade. Mm-hmm. Where, if you've ever seen the Hunter S. Thompson documentary, Breakfast with Hunter, there's a scene where Hunter S. Thompson meets with Alex Cox mm-hmm. and someone else. And Alex Cox is pitching him his vision for Fear and Loathing. And he mentions that during the very famous wave speech about the 60s, that it would be done in cartoon. And for some reason, Hunter S. Thompson blows up. And begins to berate Alex Cox. About cartoons? About his vision. About... It's been a while since I've seen it. Okay. But it... And I wasn't necessarily in a rush to go back to watch it because it is... Is it not a good movie? It's not a fun watch. Oh, that, okay. that part is not... I'd like... Oh, watching someone just, just like, freak out at somebody is not... Yeah. yeah. I get it. Okay. And so after that, he, he did a few things. He did some short films for television and uh-huh. some stuff. The Japanese are big fans of Alex Cox. They they tend to pick up our leftovers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so he did he got some financing from them for some stuff. 
but uh, mostly he's been making micro features, which are movies for under two hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars. Mostly made in front of green screen. Sad. It. Here's the way I choose to look at it. Okay. <laughs> Alex Cox loves making movies so much uh-huh. that he will still try to do it, no matter what his limitations are, uh-huh. no matter what. Like, at least for from IMDb reviews that I looked at, are not well-received, but the man just wants to make movies. You know what? There, There is something to be uh, lauded about that. Yeah. Yeah. He, from like uh, sometime in the 80s to the early 90s, he was a presenter for this British, like... Uh, they would show a movie and he would present it. I think it was called oh, okay. Movie Drome. He clearly has a deep affinity for movies, sure. western, sci-fi. Like you can find lists of his picks, and uh, the man just loves movies. Yeah, just loves. He, he wrote an entire book about spaghetti westerns. Yeah, and he wrote an entire book also about uh, the TV show The Prisoner. Yes. So in the Which, early, we should actually talk about that show on this podcast. I need I, to watch it. Yeah, you, I mean, we both do. That's a great show. In the early 80s, Cox was sort of bumming around Hollywood, taking on writing jobs. Uh, He had previously shot a student film at UCLA called Edge City. Mm -hmm. Um, He hooked up with some old UCLA buddies, uh, Jonathan Wax and Peter McCarthy, who had a production company where they mostly made commercials and PSAs. Mm -hmm. Cox convinced them to try film again. They and another UCLA alum formed Edge City Productions and set about trying to make Repo Man. Mm. Cox and crew hooked up with Michael Nesmith, mm. who was formerly of the Monkees. Nice. And whose mother invented Whiteout. <laughs> That's such a weird... You know what? That's exactly how Repo Man should have been made. Yeah. <laughs> by by a member of the Monkees whose mother created Whiteout. Yeah. That's, so that's where he got most of his money from. That's... Amazing. That is absolute that's absolutely amazing. Nesmith had just produced a movie called Time Rider, which okay. I would be interested in seeing. And uh, just Time as, Time Rider or Time Rider? Time Rider. Okay. And something we should be no- that should be noted about the monkeys is even though they were this completely uh, produced Beatles ripoff, yes. they have a movie called Head that I really want to see. Apparently, what? it's a very trippy counterculture movie. I'm on board. I I really want. I've been wanting to track it down for ages. Sure. Uh, we definitely need to check it out. So absolutely. Michael Nesmith has a little bit of swinging dick when it comes to making a trippy movie. <laughs> I have heard that the monkeys became way more legit as they got as they move as they went on. I watched a little bit of the monkeys as a child when it was on TV Land. I remember sure. enjoying it. Sure. But I remember there, there was an episode about like a corporation hypnotizing people. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in addition to producing Time Rider, he co-wrote and scored the movie. And later in the eighties, Nesmith would produce another odd movie called Tapeheads with John Cusack and Tim Robbins. Where that's those, why I've heard of this. Where those two start a music video production company. Of course they do. And it has cameos from Jello Biafra and Ted Nugent. (laughs) 
It's a the it's, Nuge. The Nuge is in it. The Nuge. Uh, it's a it's a it's an odd movie. It sounds like one. Uh, the original idea was to try to get investors to finance the film rather than a studio film because sure, who the fuck would want to make a repo? Uh, who who would? Their pitch puts the budget at one hundred sixty k, and promises the star power of Elvira. <laughs> And, <laughs> and Billy, yeah, Monique Vandeven, one of Europe's biggest box office draws. Oh, good for Monique Vandeven. Who's Monique Vandeven? One of Europe's biggest box office draws. Oh, good. <laughs> they would shoot on sixteen millimeter and uh, shoot the movie in four weeks. They weren't getting any investors. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, one one thing that uh, Alex Cox included with the prospectus. To hand out to potential investors yeah. was a little couple-page comic, very, very much done in the '70s underground style, like Art Chrome, Fabulous Fury Freak Brothers. Okay, uh, that has a, some of the lines from Repo Man in it. The cock surrogate, along with a Repo Man, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a thing you can find online. It's neat to look at. Oh, cool. Uh, Nesmith wanted them to take the movie to Universal. Here's where, whenever I got doing research, I tried to, I didn't want to go to IMDb and just go like, here's all the trivia, I'm going to copy and paste that. I wanted to make sure I had like some sort of good source for it. Yeah. So most of this comes from the Criterion booklet, the commentary, interview, stuff like that. Sure, stuff that you can verify. Here's what Alex Cox says happened in the Criterion booklet. Universal said no. Okay. But then... Michael Nesmith was at some fancy bar in Hollywood with a bunch of entertainment people. And MCA, who owned Universal at the time, Mm -hmm. was betting on country music being the next big thing. Okay. So Nesmith is talking to Kenny Rogers' manager. And the manager's trying to, like, cozy up to Michael Nesmith. Sure. And he's like, so what are you working on? He's like... Oh, I'm working on this picture called Repo Man, but it's dead in the water. And Kenny Rogers' manager turns to Bob Ream, the head of Universal at the time, is like, that can't be true, Bob. You have to make Mikey's picture. <laughs> and because Kenny Rogers' manager had this clout in the fictional universe where country music was the next big thing <laughs> in the early 80s, Bob Ream was like, I guess we're going to do it. No, wow. I don't fucking know if that's true. Right. It doesn't sound real. That's what Alex Cox says. Now, there is an alternate take to the okay. genesis of Repo Man. Okay. And this comes from Dick Rude, who plays the character of Duke in the movie. <laughs> Dick Rude. Now, according to Dick Rude, he had written a 17-page script with a friend called Leather Rubbernecks. Hmm. Alex Cox was going to make it, but that fell through... And Cox incorporated parts of that into Repo Man. Mm. Also, Rude gave Cox one of his graduation photos that showed Rude with his head shaved, but in the cap and gown. Right. Sort of like this punk graduate academia mix. Yeah. And Cox, according to Rude, put that on his typewriter and began to write. Now, I've not been able to find out much about leather rubbernecks or... (laughs) Anything else in Rude's story? Yeah. But I know 
Cox and Rude were close. Sure. Because, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, Dick Rude was originally supposed to play Otto. Really? Okay. Yes. The cinematographer for the movie is Robbie Muller. Mm-hmm. He also he would go on to shoot Paris, Texas, also with Harry Dean Stanton. He then he would, went on to investigate the president. Yes. Yeah. He would actually recommend Harry Dean Stanton to Vim Vendors, oh, the nice. director of Paris, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jim Jarmusch movie Dead Man. Yes. William Freakin's To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, nice. Uh, I've never seen that. Is that good? Never seen it. Okay. I just, I've just heard of it. Okay. Yeah. And the movie Barfly with Mickey Rourke, based on uh, Charles Bukowski's work. Cool. Bukowski, I'm sorry. Charles Bukowski. Uh, Robbie Muller was sort of a funny cinematographer. Uh, <laughs> he didn't like to move the camera. He would he would be a cinematographer, but he would wear, like, Groucho glasses the whole time. Yeah, no, he was constantly, yeah. he was constantly cracking wise. Yeah. <laughs> But he, would, he didn't like to move the cameras. He didn't like to move the camera or shoot insert shots. Okay. So he was a bad cinematographer is what you're telling He was me. very rigid. <laughs> Alex Cox sort of had to be like, uh, according to him, there was, Robin Muller went to him and was like, uh, there's only one place for the camera. And Alex Cox was like, well, what about here? <laughs> Could this be the place for the camera? Like, yeah. <laughs> Robbie Muller was uh, Scandinavian. <laughs> what a bad attitude to have as a cameraman. <laughs> he he eventually loosened up. He eventually. I, uh, I hope the fuck he did. Jesus. I don't think William Freakin would like fuck around. With I that. don't think he would. But one time they needed insert shots, so they took out like a second unit to get the coverage for the scene. Yeah. And Muller found out. And he came up to one of the producers and said, You're worse than the studio! <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Iggy Pop did the original theme song to Repo Man. Sure. At the time, Iggy Pop was kind of down and out, uh, living very poorly, not doing well, drugs, uh, just sure. barely scraping by. Alex Cox told him he could do whatever he wanted for the song. Gave him complete creative free reign. And... That gave Iggy like a lot of like, yeah, yeah. I get to do whatever I want. That, yeah. This is pretty awesome. I get, yeah. I get to do this. So Iggy always wanted to do something in sort of the vein of like a motorcycle rocker, like something to be in like a motorcycle film. Yeah. So he sort of did that, and the track features uh, Steve Jones, mm-hmm. the former guitarist for the Sex Pistols. Nice. Nigel Harris of Blondie, and Clem Burke, the drummer for Blondie. It's a super group. Yeah. Iggy Pop told a story about one time his guitar wasn't giving him the sound he wanted. <laughs> so he took a bunch of cocaine to see if that would help. And it didn't. You don't say. Yeah. So, cocaine didn't help. <laughs> so the movie opens with a light brown 1964 Chevy Malibu driving down a desert road. Mm-hmm. It's pulled over by a motorcycle cop. Mm-hmm. The driver of the car is an older man with dark sunglasses singing Oh My Darling Clementine to himself. Mm-hmm. The cop asks the driver, who is J. Frank Parnell, played by Fox Harris, what's in the trunk. Mm-hmm. Parnell says, Oh, you don't want to look in there. <laughs> Fox Harris is a fucking amazing actor. He's great in this. He is so good. He's so good. First observation that I made in the movie... There are sound issues 
they're so bad. Yeah. Uh, it w- in this sh- in this particular opening scene, the cop, none of his uh, mouth movements line up with the dialogue at all. See, I always assumed that was intentional because the camera is back away from the car, so it was like it could be. We're looking at it from a distance. We don't hear the cop's dialogue. We can assume that he's asking him for license and registration. It could be. It could also just be. They just needed to make the shots, the edit happen, so they just put the lines in anywhere, uh, and uh, and obviously, like on the day shooting outdoors, the the dialogue is not going to be very good. Yeah. And then the very next scene, which takes place in a supermarket, it it feels like the audio feels like someone put the mics in a glass of water somewhere in the vicinity of where the actors are talking. It never bothered me. Like, I never noticed that. It doesn't it never... bother me. It's just, it, it, when I'm looking at this thing to talk about it later, Yeah. you notice, you pick up on more things. No, I understand. It actually, to be, to be less uh, sarcastic about it, it feels like they mic'd Emilio Estevez, who plays Otto, they mic'd Emilio Estevez and then just took everybody else's audio from the mic on his shirt. It's possible. I should yeah. mention... That Universal did pick up the movie with a $1.8 million budget. Oh. But the deal was this thing called a negative pickup, which means they would only give that $1.8 million after the movie was made, and they agreed to buy it. Oh. So they had to make the movie on their own dime and then hope that they would get paid at the end. Exactly. So Michael what a Nesmith, shitty situation. Michael Nesmith had to front that money. Well, good for Michael Nesmith. Yeah, for doing that, and for following the, along with this movie for as long as he did. Yeah. Now, uh, as I said, the driver is Fox Harris, mm-hmm. or the character is J. Frank Parnell, portrayed mm-hmm. by Fox Harris. Yes. And Alex Cox met Fox Harris when Cox was a security guard. At the actor's studio. And Fox Harris was one of the only people who was nice to him. I I believe that is the thing. <laughs> uh, the other actors would, like, steal the security guards' food and shit like that. What the fuck? I know! <laughs> the 80s were a fucking... Awful time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every time was an awful time. Yeah. But I feel like now there's more of a taboo against doing that. You would think there would be a taboo against stealing the security guard's food back then. But, I guess, whatever, okay. But, uh, Harry Dean Stanton recommended Fox Harris for the role, and Alex Cox remembered him like, Oh yeah, Fox Harris, he didn't steal my food, let me give him a part in this major motion picture. You know what? Be nice to people, see where it gets you. That's that's the moral of that story. I want you to guess who the second choice for J. Frank Parnell was. Well, since I saw it on the trivia in IMDb when I was looking up <laughs> a quote a minute ago, I'm going to guess, guess Lance Henriksen. Yes. Yes. Sorry. That is... <laughs> that's nuts. That is nuts. And he would have been amazing. He would have been great. I love Lance Henriksen. I wish... I am glad that this guy got it instead. Both of them would have been amazing. But yeah, I'm happy with Fox Harris. Because I don't know if they ever say this in the movie, if they ever give an explanation for who the ge- the guy is and what his backstory is, but I assumed that his backstory was that he was some f- sort of scientist. He created the neutron bomb. He created... I thought that was a friend of his that he said. But then he said that his friend drove a Chevy Malibu. 
Oh, oh, I did not pick up on that. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's a scientist, who, and no offense to Lance, no offense, no offense to Lance Henriksen, but I don't buy him as a scientist. A cop, yes. Uh, 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 a cowboy who ends up summoning Pumpkinhead, yes. <laughs> but not so much a scientist. This guy... I buy as a form of nuclear physicist. He has a great look. He has a great cadence. His voice just works perfectly. Oh, my God. Now, yeah. Fox Harris couldn't drive a car. Oh, couldn't he? No. That makes a lot of sense so, because his, not only is his driving terrible, but when you cut into the car, he always looks like a little old lady <laughs> like just gripping the steering wheel. And in uh, wide shots, any shot outside the car, it's clearly a double. Oh, is it? Like okay. in this opening scene, it's... See, I didn't pick up on that. It's clearly someone completely different. It was actually Alex Cox. Oh, well, there you go. But uh, Fox Harris would run the Malibu into a bridge <laughs> and take out a gas pump. Wow. So the, the cop goes around to open the trunk. Mm-hmm. When he does, a light blasts out, we hear a scream, and we get an x-ray view of the cop. Bright flash. All that's left of the cop is a steaming pair of boots and ash. So clearly he has Daleks in his trunk. Yes. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal opening. Oh, yeah. Like, this is... It's, it's giving you the 50s vibe. It's mm-hmm. giving you the... Like, it, it's... So we you already have almost every 50s sci-fi movie takes place out in a desert somewhere. And the, the smoking pair of boots is a reference is an homage to Nesmith's previous movie, Time Rider, where I guess that is also an image. Oh, I thought it was just but a it, fun image. It feels like such an iconic 50s image where I feel like I've seen that a thousand times. Right. The it's, person being vaporized down to their shoes. Right. I don't think there's a single 50s movie that has that image in it, but it's one of those things that you imagine that you have seen yeah. in one of those movies. And this, combined with the... Uh, the instrumental punk opening by Iggy Pop yes. is just, it puts you in a mood right away. Yeah. The Malibu drives off with J. Frank singing. Mm-hmm. Next, we see a grocery store. We see Otto and Kevin for the first time. Kevin is played by Xander Schloss. Xander Schloss. After this movie, Schloss would go on to be the basis for the punk band The Circle Jerks. Oh, hey. Who are featured in on the soundtrack and in the film. Repo Man. Are they that terrible band in the bar? Yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about that more later. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> he was a replacement, but has been with the band ever since. Yeah. Schloss was originally a production assistant. That makes sense. But he was like reading for the character like stuff. And then, and it was sort of assumed like, okay, you'll be You'll get to play Kevin. Okay. But then Emilio Estevez was friends with Chris Penn. And he was like, hey, let's get my buddy Chris Penn in to play Kevin. Who's Chris Penn? Have you ever seen Reservoir Dogs? Yes. He's Nice Guy Eddie. Oh! Okay, okay, okay. He's also in Footloose, I think. Yes, he is. Uh, Yeah, that's Chris Penn. It would make sense that he and Emilio Estevez are friends. I don't know why it does, but it does. So... One of the people on the production staff had to break the news to Xander Schloss that he wasn't going to get to play Kevin. So they sat him down on the railroad tracks that we see in the beginning of the film and broke the news to him, and he began to sob. Aww. I I think it was casting director Vicky Thomas, like, sort of saw that and was like, and also talking with Alex Cox and stuff, they were like, Chris Penn was playing Kevin very broad, very... Yeah, he's, he's a broad actor. Yeah. Um... And Kevin in the movie is 
pitch perfect. He's sort of this nerdy, wormy guy, but also hangs out with all the punks and sort of like yeah. has these sort of delusions. It's not... It works very well in the movie. Yeah. For someone who is not a professional actor, Xander Schloss... Xander Schloss. <laughs> we'll get it one of these days. Yes. He nailed it. does it. a great job. He nailed it. So they ended up letting Chris Penn go. Oh, okay. And Xander, maybe partly because... Someone saw Xander crying Aww. and was like, let's not do this to the boy. So always take bad news really badly. Yes. You never know what... That's what we're... Be nice to people and take bad news the worst way you could take it. And and good things will come your way. Otto is played by Emilio Estaves. Yes. Uh, the son of Martin Sheen, brother of Charlie Sheen. Uh, Estaves is the real family name of that family. Yes. Sheen is their... What do you call it? Their, their SAG name. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, he hadn't done a lot prior to this. He was in The Outsiders. He hasn't done a lot after this. No, he yeah. hasn't, but yeah. he'll always have a place in my heart. Of course. He's great in this movie. Oh, he's fucking fantastic as yeah. a... As a horrible As a person. horrible, empty character. That is correct. Yes, this is a horrible, empty person. None of Emilio Estevez... Emilio Estaves sure. is people wanting to pass the script along to him like they kept like trying to like <laughs> get it to him. Finally, they uh, they found somebody who knew him that they also knew. It was like, yeah, we'll get him to him. So they wanted Emilio to focus on like big movies. You got to do big movies. You can't do weird fucking alien and trunk movies. Right. You already look enough like Charlie Sheen. People are confusing you for him. We, <laughs> need, to get, we need to get your career off the ground here. Uh, Kevin and Otto are... Oh, another very weird movie that Emilio Estavez is in. Maximum Ride. I've never heard of that. That is a, is the only Stephen King film adaptation that he himself directed. Oh, that he, sounds terrible. Yes, it is. It is a movie about how all of our cars decide to kill us one day. And their leader is a giant 18-wheeler truck that carries toys. Do you mean Maximum Overdrive? That's what I mean. Okay. What did I say? Maximum Ride? Oh. Maximum Ride, I think, is a series of books about angels, but... Um, maximum Ride sounds like a really generic roller coaster. It does. That, like, you should not get on. I meant Maximum Overdrive, and Emilio Estavez plays, I believe, a gas station attendant who saves the world. Oh, cool. So, actually, kind of in the same vein. <laughs> a little bit. As this. Except a much nicer person. <laughs> uh, Kevin and Otto are working when Otto's boss, Mr. Humphreys, comes over and fires Otto. Otto responds with, fuck you. He d that's, But the best part is, he doesn't say that when he's getting fired. He's just getting talked down oh, to. Oh yeah, he's being... And he says, fuck you! Like, immediately. Yeah. With no chill. And then he gets quite understandably fired. Yeah. <laughs> He grabs Kevin and pushes him into a tower of cans. <laughs> the security guard pulls a gun on Otto, and he responds with a double bird before leaving. It's surprising Otto lasted this long at any job. <laughs> He's He is more a rebel without a cause than James Dean. James Dean yeah. actually had things he was rebelling against yes. in that movie. Otto has nothing. Otto literally, the way the wind blows him is whatever he'll is do. Is whatever he's mad at. <laughs> Kevin is also fired for some reason. He's fired because he's laughing at the situation. Right. <laughs> Next we see a rowdy party, and here's... Oh, there's also a security guard in that scene who yeah. looks 
suspiciously like Eric Andre's dad. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like if <laughs> if Eric Andre's dad were Shaggy, but they whitewashed him for the cartoon. <laughs> That's exactly correct. Yeah. Next, we see a rowdy party. Coup d'état by the Circle Jerks is playing. Mm-hmm. People are uh, moshing or they're just slam they're not dancing. Even moshing. They're just they're just slamming into each other. I yeah. don't know what it's called. Is it? Is it, is it slam dancing? Is that I, what they called it back then? I don't know what slam dancing is, but they're just literally just like pogoing and bumping into each other, getting into fist fights, ripping each other's clothes off. It's it's yeah, it's it's what someone imagines kids are getting up to when they watch Fox News. Yeah, <laughs> but I I've heard from many sources that this is one of the more authentic, especially in in the early '80s when people were portraying punks in a lot of movies as sure you know. If you've seen a movie from the 80s, you know how they portrayed punks. Star Trek 4. This is a much more organic and natural representation. Okay. I'll, I'll take it. It looked unnatural to me, but I'll, I'll take it. Alex Cox was a fan of punk music. Clearly. It's not like some director was given like, yeah, you need to put punk characters in this. And he's like, what the fuck is punk? Right, yeah. So it's... Again, I wasn't there. I wasn't born. I was negative four years old <laughs> and not in California. Right. So I don't know what it was like, but I've heard people say that it captured the spirit very well. I, I am I am not a punk. I don't know how to be a punk in 2020, but the punk movement has birthed so many cr- crazy great art uh, yeah. that I am a, a huge fan. Grant Morrison came out of the punk scene as much as he denies it he definitely did did you like the soundtrack for this film oh or yeah this, yeah of course it's fucking fantastic we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit more later especially the mariachi part <laughs> <laughs> we meet otto's friend duke who recently got out of jail yes duke is played by dick rude as we who just is, talked about who is uh would go on to star and straight to hell and as i said before he was originally supposed to play otto yes but alex cox was a first-time director yes the two producers were first-time producers. Yes. There were so many unknown quantities working at that time that mm-hmm. Universal was not going to go for an unknown star as well. Right. That is actually why, in the Superman movie, when they made that in the 70s, they not only got an established director and established screenwriter, Mario Puzo, writer of The Godfather, yeah. but they also got uh, Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman on the film because they knew that they wanted an unknown to play Superman, and it, which eventually became Christopher Reeves. And the studio was had them over a barrel saying that they wanted someone like Clint Eastwood to play Superman mm. because he was an established star. Yeah. He was someone that they knew they could bank on. And the, they were like, we de- so desperately do not want that that we will cast names in every other role in this production just so we can get an unknown for Superman. I don't know how the timeline would work, but how close do you think we were to a John Travolta Superman? <laughs> Very close. <laughs> like, yeah, un- uncomfortably close. Yeah. We were also even closer, even more uncomfortably closer to having Nicolas Cage as Superman. I mean... In the, uh, in the 90s. I view that as... A missed opportunity. For I do madness. not. I do not. I mean, a missed opportunity for madness. Yes. A missed opportunity for something good in the world. No. That was a bad thing. <laughs> you know as well as I do that not all good things are great, and some bad things are the best. 
You are right. You are. That's that's a. We'll, we'll put in that quote on my on my uh, MySpace wall. Do it. Yeah. Later, Otto is with his girlfriend Debbie. Uh huh. Otto takes off his pants and very neatly and carefully folds them <laughs> before he tucks them under the bed. I forgot about this part. There's so many great little details in this movie like that. Like, here we are. Otto is the supposed punk. He's like, yeah. let me fold up my jeans right, and tuck them away carefully. And another great detail is Otto lays back with his arms behind his head yeah. and says, okay, like he's just to waiting. initiate sex. <laughs> Already, like, the first scene, we're like, oh my god, Otto's this incredible badass. And then the second scene, we're like, Otto's kind of weird, isn't he? Otto's just, uh, yeah, no, he's just not a, yeah. Debbie <laughs> tells him to go get a beer. Yeah. So he goes and gets the beer. And this is the first time we see the iconic generic packaging in the movie. Oh my god, this is everything. The can is all white, except for a blue stripe at the bottom, and just says beer in black letters. Now this was a real thing. What do you mean this is a real thing? Generic products used to look like that. Really? For a short time, in the early 80s. Yeah, before like... I thought this was just incredible production design. No. They did come up with a few fake things, like uh, the food and the drink. Those were their own ideas. But okay. this was a literal thing that was in grocery stores at the time. They would have just a generic label that said beer? Yeah. And What a weird, bizarre world. And it was used because they couldn't get any product placement for the beer or for anything else. Okay. So this was their fallback, and... There were two sponsors for the film, and Mm -hmm. one of them was Ralph's Supermarket, and they had this warehouse full of expired generic product, and they just, they couldn't sell it, so they just donated to the production. See, this is what I'm talking about with, like, is this movie brilliant or is it a mistake? Because, like, that shit is brilliant in the movie. Oh, it's so fucking brilliant. The fact that I didn't know that, and that was actually going to be one of the things I was going to bring up is, like, an obvious satire. Yeah. Thing where it's like beer, beer, and pop, and and food, food, and and Cheerios or like or, or whatever, and it's and it's it's such an if you don't know that as I didn't when we yeah. were just watching this, it comes off as this very obvious but hilarious as fuck satire mm-hmm. of consumerism and and bullshit, the bullshit that we live with, which is what this whole move could be the alternate title of this movie, the bullshit <laughs> we live with, and it's just. And that's just a real thing that was just happening. Yes. And they just sort of like, hey, we have a lot of this shit. And it wasn't until just when doing research for this that I knew it was a real thing after I looked it up, after I'd seen the movie a couple times. It was like, sure. Was what's was this original? What, what What is this? Yeah. But after I learned that, I thought it was a conscious choice on Alex, Co- Alex Cox's part. Sure. Where it was like, I'm going to make this sort of statement the way I was interpreting it as is that generic products are sort of have this dualism where it's very punk because you're saying fuck you to corporations, I don't need your branding mm-hmm. just give me the fucking product right? Uh, that I need to sustain myself. Yeah. But also it's so generic and bland yeah. that it goes against that it becomes this idea of individuality yeah. that punk is supposed to foster. So right. I thought it was this very sharp. There's something uh, beautiful about 
Harry Dean Stanton said, let's go get a drink, and then they get cans that just say, drink! Oh, it's fucking great. It's and like I said, that so was... gorgeous. That was their thing. Like, you couldn't go get a can of drink. Okay. So they created the drink, they created that joke, they created that okay. moment. Well, that's a great moment. Yeah. And it, it's... Oh, it's fucking hilarious, it's fucking great, and... But it, it, to know it came about because it's they just, just like... had a lot of expired beer... Yeah, in so that said beer that sort of takes away from it a little bit for me, but I still the end result is still amazing. It doesn't so. take away from it for me because again, for me, art is the end product. It's it, not how it got there. It takes away from my my ongoing evaluation of Alex Cox as an artist, as an auteur, where yeah. I try to figure out like how, like I said before, I need to rewatch Walker. I need to see Sid and Nancy to yeah. try to figure out. This man's chops overall, right? Is is this guy uh, a genius? Did he just trip over himself and accidentally create a masterpiece? Which you know happens sometimes. It does. Yeah. George Lucas and Star Wars. Everybody. Otto returns with the beer, only to find Duke in bed with Debbie. So quickly, happens so fast. Otto says nothing. He just meekly grabs his clothes and leaves. And this is a wonderful. Inversion of the scene we had just seen previously where Otto is... The security guard points a gun at Otto. Yes. And he's just giving him the bird. Yeah. And here Otto is... Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word. Doesn't do anything. Yeah. Just... Picks up his folded pants and leaves. And slinks out. What, do you think Otto is cool? No. Okay. Otto sucks. <laughs> Otto the character sucks. Yeah. But Otto is cool to me because he gets to go on all these adventures and crazy oh, time. well yeah. But Otto the character is fucking lame as shit. Oh yeah. No, he's awful. Otto has enough of the protagonist bit. It, it, it's sort of this thing where you know the like the Neo thing or the Harry Potter thing where you put a character in a movie. This is not applied to the Harry Potter books but to the Harry Potter movies yes. Where the, you put a character in these movies who is just such a, a bland figure that you can ascribe your own personality yeah. traits to them and therefore think when they're doing all these noble, heroic things, that's me doing those things. Otto is the inversion of that, where he's just bland and relatable enough that you can put yourself in there, but instead you ascribe all of the worst character characteristics of you. Yeah. Where all the selfish, horrible things that you would do in any given situation are the things that he does. Yeah. And uh, he... Especially, in, in, and it starts in this in this scene, where like everyone I feel like has felt like flipping off their boss and just saying "fuck you" when he's being all uh, condescending to you about the spacing of your stacking is yeah. what he was criticizing him for. And then uh, with the girlfriend thing, and the girlfriend just like gets tired of him and moves on in a split second, and then he's he meekly walks out and is walking down the street angrily singing the lyrics of this song. TV Party by Black Flag. Sure. And uh, it felt like this very relatable young angst moment mm -hmm. where even though I didn't want to be like Otto, I was like Otto because I remember that when I was upset over something with a girl and I, would, I literally at one point did walk across campus when I was in college yelling the lyrics of the Beatles' I Want You like just because I was angry and I was getting something out of my system and it was midnight and nobody was around 
So I was just yelling. But yeah, yeah. that's that's what happens. He walks along singing TV party by Black Flag. Yeah. Now let's talk about the soundtrack. Yeah. The soundtrack was released by MCA, who owned Universal at the time. I seem to remember that, yeah. And the soundtrack was, the, it came out before the film, mm-hmm. and it was this huge hit. Because it was, it was this, this great punk mixtape. Right. We have Circle Jerks, Black Flag, Suicidal Tendencies. Uh, the Plugs did the score for the film. Iggy Pop doing the main theme. Yeah. Uh, it's this great record. The, the score is, is fantastic. Oh, it's fucking it's great. so good. And it did so well. And before Repo Man got released, there was this big power shift at Universal where Bob Ream, the guy who gave the green light to Repo Man in the first place, was ousted, and there was this big uh, regime change. Okay. And the new regime wanted nothing to do with Repo Man. Like, they, they, would just, they just wanted to dump... They wanted to dump the old projects. So Repo Man's original theatrical release was one week. I can't stand that shit. I cannot stand that shit. But the sales to the soundtrack were so strong that MCA, again, the parent company, called up Universal and was like, hey, get this fucking movie out because it's making money. Hey, there you go. Fucking A. That That is awesome. That is rock and roll. The next day, Otto is walking down the street when a car rolls up beside him. Yep. It's driven by Bud, played by Harry Dean Stanton. Now, <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton had been acting for about three decades before Repo Man. Oh, Harry Dean Stanton is in everything. He is. And I love him so much. His most recognizable roles for most people mm-hmm. were probably Brett in Alien. He's one of the mechanics along with right. the And... Brain in Escape from New York. I haven't seen that one yet. It's decent. Uh, my brother just watched it recently, and he was not that impressed. It's a little draggy. That's what I've heard. Yeah. But uh, then again, he's also a huge fan of Escape from L.A. So what does he know? I still need to see Escape from L.A. Yeah. Alex Cox uh, was recommended Harry Dean Stanton by a friend who had met Stanton at a party and described him as having an old west slash cadaver look. That is incredibly accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And Cox was on board because he was already a fan of Harry Dean Stanton from Tulane Blacktop, uh, Landon Mills, and The Missouri Breaks. I have no idea what you just said, but that sounds great. I've seen Tulane Blacktop, Mm -hmm. which is a very... It's a strange film. Right. I don't know if it would work for the show. The the moment that I fell in love with Harry Dean Stanton was... uh, like I, I've always liked him. I've always liked him, but the moment I fell in love with him was in Joss Whedon's Avengers. It was, or I guess it was, it was, a, it's just been a slow build up my entire life. But in Joss Whedon's uh, Avengers in the MCU, is when he showed up. I suddenly realized it's like when a a girl that you know as a friend walks in a door, and you're suddenly like, oh, I'm in love with you. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, uh, he came on the screen and it was. So, it's like, are you an alien? No. And son, you got a condition. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I will watch anything you're in. <laughs> yeah, he's great in Avengers. Cox met with Stanton's agent. Okay. And Stanton's agent was like, no, you don't want Harry Dean Stanton. You want Mick Jagger. That would be amazing. <laughs> I know. There are alternate versions of Repo Man that would have been fucking incredible. I, 
<laughs> okay, there's another weird, obscure thing that I think about a lot. There's an episode of Alvin and the Chipmunks, the 80s version of Alvin and the Chipmunks, where Theodore... No, is it Simon or Theodore's? That's a smart one. Theodore. Theodore? No, Simon, I think. I think Theodore's the one who just eats a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Simon is the smart one. Simon creates a machine where you can ask the machine what would be the alternate result of a decision that you've made, and it shows you. And I think about that machine on an almost daily basis because there are, I would, one of the things I would plug into it is show me the alternate dimension where Repo Man was made with Lance Henriksen and Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> I'd want to see every cut where it was Fox Harris and Mick Jagger, it was yeah. Lance Her Hendrickson and uh, Fuck, Dick show me, Rude. And show me the version of Star Wars that had uh, Tashira Mifune as Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah, that's probably what I would use that machine for. Oh, yeah. Is just show see, me Jodorowsky's Dune. Show me the completed Jodorowsky's Dune. Oh, my God. Um, so you watched that documentary? Not yet. Okay. But I've seen enough of the trailer to know it would have been an amazing movie. <laughs> uh, Dennis Hopper was also considered for the role of Bud. but he his would have also been amazing. But his substance abuse issues were sort of off the charts at the time, so they passed. Yeah. Not that Harry Dean Stanton wouldn't go on to prove difficult. <laughs> oh, Harry, Harry, Harry. And his performance is immediately fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. He's trying to get Otto... Go pick up a car for him. Offers him ten dollars. He's spending this line about how his his wife is pregnant and he needs to get her to the hospital, but he needs to get her car out of this bad neighborhood. And it's clearly bullshit. But Harry Dean Stanton is selling it so well. He's playing. He does a great job. He's walking it. the line of tipping the hand that it's bullshit. Yeah. But giving the razzle dazzle to the mark. Oh yeah. No, it's, he's yeah. He, Harry Dean Stanton is a fucking master. You've seen him in a hundred different things. Even if you didn't know it. I highly recommend his one of his final movies, Lucky. Yes. One of his few starring roles along with Repo Man in Paris, Texas. Also, anything he ever did with David Lynch. Yes. But Lucky is a fantastic swan song. Yeah. So Otto takes a job for $25. Mm -hmm. Bud tosses him a key and Otto gets in the car. Turns out it's not Bud's car or Bud's wife's car. No. A man tries to stop Otto from driving off. It's the he, car belongs to a Hispanic family. Yes, but he gets away. He's laughing. Mm -hmm. Otto follows Bud to an impound lot. The name of the repo company is the Helping Hand Acceptance Company. Bullshit. <laughs> or the Helping Hand Acceptance Corporation. Yeah. Based off of the General Motors Acceptance Corporation. Right. Otto asks, his, Otto asks Bud, like, what about your old lady? And he says, <laughs> oh, oh right. shit, I forgot. <laughs> well, she'll take the bus. She's a rock. I, oh. Another thing I wanted to avoid in this episode is just making this, like, there's so many iconic a, lines. A quotathon. There are so the many. Exactly. Yeah. And it was hard for me not to play movie karaoke as you watched where... Yeah. I'm just like, I know this line, I'm going to say it. Well, that was my problem with me and my dick. Like, I kept talking about, like, it was hard for me not to just keep listing lines from the heart that I that I, that I I love. And I ended up actually kind of doing that in yeah. that episode, because, like, and it's just so good. I'm going to do that a little bit, too. Yeah. Now, also in the scene, we see an angry man 
uh, played by a wonderful little bit player. I'm not sure who it was. I, who's getting his key back from Oli, the head of the impound company. Yeah. And that was originally supposed to be Cy Richardson's part, who oh. plays Light. Okay. But he was so good that he bumped him up to... Deservedly so. He's one of the best parts of the oh movie. Oh, my God. In a, in a movie where most parts are the best part of the movie... <laughs> He, he still Richardson, stands out, though. Cy Richardson, Cy Richardson is fucking amazing. Oh, my God. Um, we'll get to his best scene in a minute. But another God. line I think of all the time. Bud asks Otto his name. Otto says, Otto. And only says, Otto? Otto Potts? <laughs> Which is such a, a bad joke. <laughs> it is, but I think about it all the time. I get it. All the Repo Men are named after beer. I didn't notice that. Miller... Right. Bud. Right. Light, not specifically named after a beer, but a type yeah, of type beer. Type of beer, yeah. And Oli, which I'm not sure that is referencing. Sure. And apparently, the four Repo Men were loosely based on the members of the punk band Fear. Okay. Who, in the original prospectus that was handed out to investors, were included in the notable talent that would be in the movie is prominent <laughs> punk band Fear. So right. Alex Cox was clearly close with them. Yeah. So it's possible that maybe they're... So they were intending for them to be playing themselves. That was... I heard that that was a possibility at one time, but it's yeah. also just like, well, I'll write this with sort of their personalities in sure. mind. And another thing to consider is a lot of Bud's dialogue mm -hmm. comes from a real Repo Man named Mark Lewis that was the roommate of a friend of Alex Cox... Hmm. Alex Cox met him and said, hmm, a Repo Man, that might be an interesting idea for a movie. Can I do a ride-along? Rode along with him a bunch and heard all these iconic quotes. Did the guy monologue endlessly about the importance of his job like Bud does? <laughs> I'm not sure. Otto realizes they're all Repo Man. Mm -hmm. He cracks open the beer that Oli had tossed him and pours it out. Yep. Despite this, Bud and Oli still think... He's all right. As they all chant together. And another line that I think about all the time. He's all is, right. You're all right. <laughs> On his way out, they offer him a job, and Otto says, Screw that. I ain't going to be no repo man. Which I understand. Yeah. Being no. a repo man kind of sucks. He's informed that he already is. Yeah. Now, for a long time, after I'd seen this movie, I was like, Yeah, being a repo man would be fucking interesting it'd be fucking cool now yeah. i realize it's a very sad sad profession it's a very sad profession we were talking about living in a dystopian capitalistic nightmare yeah. being a repo man is being on the front lines of that uh capitalistic nightmare. exactly they are yeah. the enforcers of the capitalist system yes which is why he pours out the beer as a punk that's the enemy exactly but here's where Otto is such a fucking empty vessel he's such a non- person mm -hmm. that wherever the wind blows him he's like yeah okay i'll do this yeah we at least get some element of indecision because he goes from there to looking at a newspaper and thinking about what other kind of jobs are available going to his family and asking for money before he becomes a repo man true so we do see him trying to not be a repo man at least a little bit a little but bit. yeah in the end he just ends up selling out his values immediately abandons his punk ethos yes and it's like yeah uh, sure yeah as he's leaving the repo office he runs into miller 
who hands him a pine tree air freshener and says you'll find one in every car. Miller is apparently not actually a repo man, just seems to be some sort of homeless guy who hangs out with them. I always assumed he was like a mechanic. Oh, that would make sense. He is always dirty. He he has like a jumpsuit on. Yeah. And the air freshener people mm-hmm. were the other sponsor for the movie. Oh, that makes so much sense. They gave him about 100 free air fresheners. Oh, my God. And he says, you'll find one in every car. You'll see. And we and do. We even we see do. him on the windshield of the cop's motorcycle. That's, oh, my God. That's hilarious. Which uh, people are investigating the scene of the motorcycle cop's vaporation. Vaporization. Vaporization. I don't say that word a lot. <laughs> you don't get to say vaporization very often. A cop asks a female agent uh, what happened. She says, it happens sometimes. People just people, explode. People just explode. Right. <laughs> uh, Apparently she got her science degree from watching Spinal Tap a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we learned that this agent is tracking J. Frank Parnell. Mm-hmm. Now, Billy, I have a game for you on this episode. Oh, great. I love games. We're going to play... Uh, I'm going to give you a person, okay, and you're going to tell me how you would repo their car. Oh, God. Okay. The first person, President Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> President Abraham Lincoln. I didn't even know he had a car. He does. He has a Ford Fiero. It's a Ford Fiero. Okay. Well, I would take his top hat and throw it into the breeze and let him go chase it while I break into his car and drive it away. Well, here's the problem. Okay. Abraham Lincoln's Ford Fiero. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, it's a Pontiac Fiero. Oh, Pontiac Fiero. I know nothing about cars. Cool. Neither do um, I. <laughs> his Pontiac Fiero is modded to be shaped like a top hat. Oh, no. So he's more concerned about the bigger top hat that you're getting away with. Oh, no. And he shoots you in the back of the head in a startling foreshadowing of his own death. <laughs> By actor John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I bungled that. If I had more time mm-hmm. and more inclination, what yes. I was going to do for this episode was pretend that I had found the lost 80s Repo Man text adventure and have you play <laughs> that. But I didn't think I'd be able to improv it well enough, and sure. I didn't feel like writing it out. So You, you did a lot of work for this episode already. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> So you're one and zero so far uh, on the repo challenge. Damn it! Otto takes the repo job. We see him on a ride along with Bud. Mm-hmm. Bud, very much the mentor, very much the uh, I, I'm I'm the Papa Bear. I'm the Baloo. Yeah, the Baloo. Yep. It's for the bear necessities. And he's giving Otto advice, and it's capped mm-hmm. with uh, one of my favorite lines. That's why there ain't a repo man I know that don't take speed. <laughs> And Otto says, speed, huh? <laughs> Cut to them doing speed. Yes. And Bud recites the repo code. Mm-hmm. I shall not cause harm to any vehicle, nor the personal contents thereof, nor through inaction let, the, let that vehicle or the personal contents thereof come to harm. Which, as I pointed out, sounds suspiciously similar to one of Isaac Asimov's rules of robotics. And Alex Cox definitely pulled it from there. Oh, he did? Okay. Yes. Good for him. Uh, Bud notices some yuppies dressed all in white with white vehicles, much like the generic products we see. Yes. Bud says the most iconic line of the movie, ordinary fucking people. I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bud is um, very similar to Otto in that he is a horrible person. Yeah. He is an <laughs> awful human being. And Bud fully believes in the capitalist system. He believes in the sanctity of credit. He believes yes. in... He, he believes that there should be a way that you can tell how much everyone owes. He believes that society would be all right if yeah. everyone paid what they owed. Right. He says, I, did, I, don't, I don't have any communists in my car or Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the line when I first heard that was when I knew I loved Repo Man. Right, yeah. I want no commies in my car. No Christians, neither. That's a great line. And now a lot of the Repo code was sort of influenced by Harry Dean Stanton, who all those parts were spread throughout the script, and he was like, let's consolidate them, let's make it one speech. Okay. So he influenced, he sort of like brought that all into that one iconic speech. Interesting. And as I said before, a lot of the dialogue that Bud says are quotes by Mark Lewis, an actual repo man that Alex Cox wrote around with. Sure. The pair go to a liquor store where they get cans of drink. They get cans of drink. When they leave, we see that Debbie, Duke, and a third person, Archie, mm -hmm. are robbing the store. Yes. And we see that J. Frank Parnell has reached L.A. Bud and Otto are driving in the L.A. River when we first encountered the Rodriguez brothers. <laughs> and I love their introduction. They roll up alongside Bud's car. Yeah. And Bud looks over and says, oh, no. Rodriguez brothers, <laughs> and it's 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 fitting because like they're they're in the same location that the famous uh, car chase from Greece took place in, yeah. the famous car chase from I, I believe I believe I could be wrong about this, but the, the famous car chase from Terminator Two I think takes place there as well. I'm not sure. I know there's a scene in Drive that takes place there. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think this is another Kiss Me Deadly nod okay i'm not sure but but it's it's an iconic movie location the like alaska's rocks and stuff like that uh, i know to live and die in la used it because they mentioned that in the commentary the sure. LA river the rodriguez brothers are responsible for 30 cars in the field that they need to repo right so they're sort of bud's nemesis mm -hmm. the two race the rodriguez brothers drive off leaving bud and otto otto says that was intense Mm -hmm. Repo Man's always intense, yeah. says Bud. Another iconic line. As they drive off, Otto is laughing maniacally. Maniacally. Next, Otto works with Light, played by Cy Richardson, who made his debut in an erotic musical version of Cinderella. Good for him. Uh, he's another Cox regular. He appeared on the show Pushing Daisies. Yes, as the medical examiner. Uh Light shows Otto a trick where you can throw a dead rat in a car to get someone out of the car. Does not work. The woman just maces Otto and Light drives off, abandoning him. <laughs> There's no... The solidarity between Repo Man is very fluid. Very tenuous, as you see between all of them as the movie goes on. After the job, Otto sees a young woman walking down the street to a cover of the modern lover song, Pablo Picasso. Mm -hmm. Played by the Burning Sensations. Sure. Modern Lover's great proto-punk band. Their first album was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Pablo Picasso, great song. Yeah. The I'm looking up this entire soundtrack. And definitely. And re re-listening to it after this, by the, the way. Uh, the Suicidal Tendency song, which we hear through the door when Otto and Debbie are about to have sex, is Institutionalized, which is probably their most famous song, which is fucking hilarious. Great. The woman, Layla, gets in Otto's repo car for a ride. Mm -hmm. Layla is played by Olivia Barish. Otto tells her he's a repo man, which he is rightfully not impressed by. <laughs> now, Barish was suggested to Cox 
because, and I believe it was Xander Xander Schloss was a stand-in on a TV movie called The Young Landlords, Hmm. which featured Olivia Barish. Okay. And she was the only person who was nice to him. There we go. There, the lesson again. Exactly. Be nice to people. And also be as adorable as this actress is, and you'll get parts. <laughs> Olivia Barish uh, is cute as a button. Cute as a button. And for research, Alex Cox sent her to UFO conventions, and she was only 17 at the time, so she started getting very swept up in all this. Oh, no. Yeah, so <laughs> she had her own little experience with the paranormal and okay. this brush with fanaticism. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And again, Otto has so quickly forgotten how much he hated the idea of being a Repo Man. Yeah, now he's, he's bragging about he's it. He's loving every second of it. As he was saying when they, they did the car uh, chase with the Rodriguez brothers, he's like, I didn't know we were going to be doing car chases, cops and robbers, robbers shit. Damn! Yeah. Yeah. He 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 loves it. He Wherever the wind blows him, yep. Otto will do whatever. Like the protagonist of Avatar. Uh, some men in black drive alongside the car. Layla hides, saying if they see her, they will kill her. Yes. She shows him a picture of something that looks like sausage, according to Otto. To me, it looked like balloon animals, but whatever. Well, uh, this is a picture of four dead aliens, Layla claims. Yeah. And this effect was achieved by filling con- condoms with water and putting grass skirts on them. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. That Okay, I can now make sense of what I saw in that picture. What I, I almost wish that they had not actually shown the picture to the audience. I wish that you hadn't seen what was in the picture, because you never see the aliens in the movie. True. And I think that it would have been better if we just never saw them at all. I think because the picture is so... When you look at it, it doesn't immediately register as anything, aside from maybe sausage, like Otto says. Right. So... In a way, it's sort of the same as not showing them because you're just shown this sort of abstract picture. Right. You're not shown an actual representation of them in the film. Yes, that is, that is, that is very true. She says she's part of a secret network, the United Fruitcake Outlet, and a scientist who is part of the group recently smuggled alien corpses off an Air Force base in the trunk of his car, mm-hmm. a Chevy Malibu. Oh, shit. The first car I drove was actually a Chevy Malibu. Oh. Uh, not out of uh, any intention, but short, sort of just that lattice of coincidence, which Miller talks about later. Yeah, I think we're all almost to that scene. Back at the repo office, a job comes through over the computer. Mm-hmm. $20,000 to find a Chevy Malibu, a 1964 Chevy Malibu. Mm-hmm. Now, for this movie, they had one Chevy Malibu in the beginning. Okay. Which is not usually how you make movies. That's not how you make a movie. And... One of the uh, like the transportation chiefs or whatever saw that Alex Cox did not have a car and was like, "Hey, why don't you take the Chevy Malibu?" Oh no! It ended up getting stolen. Oh, that's ironic. <laughs> so they had to scramble to find another Chevy Malibu. Oh God! Which they did. Yeah. And then the first Chevy Malibu ended up being found by the police. So they had two cars in the end. Thank God. Yeah, thank God, because uh, Fox Harris was just ramming the car into anything and everything. (laughs) Oh, Fox Harris. (laughs) Uh, Are you ready to repo another car? Sure, let's repo another car. I need you to get a AMC Gremlin 
Okay. From comics legend Steve Ditko. Ooh, comics legend Steve Ditko. Okay, well, the way I'm going to do that is I am going to engage him by by telling him that there are a bunch of people who are saying that humanity is basically evil around the corner, and he needs to run over there and debate him, debate them, and talk about the unique goodness of men, and uh, and how Ayn Rand was right all along, and he'll run off to do that, and meanwhile I will steal his car. Interesting take. Yeah, I thought you would have appealed to. I thought you would have leaned further into Steve Ditko's right-wing beliefs and appealed more to that. Maybe. I mean, that is part of his right-wing beliefs, is that his belief in the unique goodness of man and the fact that all art should only... that art should only reflect the good parts of humanity rather than the negative parts, and that bad guys should always be clearly delineated as villains, as separate from the heroes. Bad guys are others that we... In, that we put away. The good people are us. That's a conservative take. I don't know if I would call that right wing. Well, it is definitely his stance on things. That's why he didn't want Norman Osborn to be the Green Goblin. It's also why the last Blue Beetle story that he ever worked on was about uh, him taking the Blue Beetle talking about art criticism and taking on a statue that depicted humanity as heartless and cruel and saying that uh, art that depicts negative aspects of humanity is worthless because it doesn't inspire. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you three points. Okay. So I got away with that one? Yeah. Great. You got his car. Yay! Steve Ditko. What a weird person. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Although apparently if you uh, wrote to him in his later years, he would still respond. Yeah. Good for him. Later, Otto's talking with the filthy mechanic from earlier. Yes. Miller. Yes. Who's played by Tracy Walter, another guy who's been around for a long time, playing a lot of small roles. He plays the comedy sidekick to Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. Does he? The best of the Conan movies. Awesome. Yeah. This... uh, All the actors in this film are fantastic. Yes. And Tracy Walter is no exception. He's great in this. He's horrible in Conan the Destroyer. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, I also want to mention that Oli is played by Tom Finnegan, who's uh-huh. also, in the few lines he has, I feel he nails all of them. Sure. Especially one coming up. Yeah. Uh, in another one of the movie's iconic scenes, Miller rambles about the lattice of coincidence that lays on top of everything. Mm-hmm. For example, you're thinking about a plate of shrimp, and then someone says plate or shrimp or plate of shrimp. Yeah. He also posits that people are being kidnapped from the present and being sent to the past by flying saucers, which are no different than time machines. He caps it off with another famous line, the more you drive, the less intelligent you are. Mm. Which I think has an element of truth to it, as crazy as all the things he says is. There was something, I I was just watching an interview with John Cleese yesterday, and he said that one of the things that makes people less creative is busy work. Having just things to do. Uh, uh, responsibilities makes it harder and harder for you to put yourself in a position to play and having the childlike ability to play and enjoy yourself while separating yourself from the responsibilities of your work life is one of the uh, 
most important things in order to create art. Yeah. Yeah. So he might be crazy, but he has a he has a point. Well, Miller ends up being a, a key figure in this movie. Yes. And this monologue, this iconic monologue, was originally not going to be in the movie. Oh. It was just an audition piece. Uh, Cox wrote a bunch of monologues as audition pieces. Mm-hmm. And, but the reaction to this monologue was so strong by all the actors, they were like, this is so great. It is. That he put it in the film. That's crazy, because that's the central piece of the entire movie. Oh, yeah. The entire movie falls apart without that monologue. Because like that, and, and and one thing we haven't really touched on as we're talking about this, not only is there the scene in the desert where they clean up the car, and the scene with the, the men in black following the lady, but in the background of a lot of shots, already throughout the whole movie, but already leading up to this bit, you can see more instances of the plot with the aliens taking place in the background. Mm-hmm. There are like just. People in white lab coats and, 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 and special suits going around checking a bunch of stuff. There are agents investigating people's houses, bodies being discovered. It There's an entire movie taking place in the background of this. It's kind of like the, the Abed pregnancy subplot in that one episode of Community. <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. Uh, we see Kevin again, now working at a car wash slash gas station. Mm-hmm. The Malibu rolls in with Carnet with Parnell looking worse for wear. Kevin offers to vacuum his car. The Rodriguez brothers pull up and steal the Malibu. Mm-hmm. Otto goes to repo the car from an old lady when her many many sons show up. Yes. Uh, he ducks up. He ducks out and tries to take the car, but it's up on a jack. Yep. And the sons come out and beat him up. And this is a, a thing where where the movie does not shy away from showing that being a repo man is awful. Like, yeah. all the people that they're... Most of the people that they repossess cars from... No, all of them are minorities. Yeah. And they're all clearly just as... Even uh, Otto admits at one point, they're just people. Not all of them. Not all of them? No, not all of them. Uh, Mrs. McGruber, the one with the rat. Uh, oh, the dude yeah. in the laundromat. Oh, okay, okay. They, they are, they're white. But a lot of the people are, are minorities yeah. who, as, as he points out as Otto points out in a later scene, just don't have money. They just can't pay their bills. Yeah. Capitalism sucks, and we all have to live in it, and being uh, repossessing people's property because they can't pay, it, it doesn't help anybody. No. It just makes things worse for everyone involved. Uh, the Sons are played by the mod band The Untouchables. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And they all ride up on motor scooters, and it's a very stylish, very yeah. fun scene. Uh, at the repo lot, Miller tends to Otto. And here we meet Otto Pluchner, Rent-A-Cop, who we've seen before. He's yes. in the background knitting. Um, Pluchner is played by Richard Ferrangi. Okay. And here's what I like about Richard Ferrangi. That he's hilarious? He One, he's hilarious. He does this role so <laughs> fucking funny. But he's a hairy man. He's an extremely hairy man. Yes, and he's got his shirt open the entire movie. And we are both hairy men. We are. So yes. it's nice to see representation. It is, yeah. I remember... I remember as a young boy yeah. seeing Harrison Ford's uh, hairless chest in Temple of Doom and being like, that's not what a man looks like. <laughs> see, I grew up with James Bond movies, so I got to see shirtless Sean Connery all the time. Okay, well, I did not. As a child, I was made to feel like a freak <laughs> because of the, the bare the bare skin rug I had enveloping my body at age eight. 
I did I did have a moment where I was watching in college I was watching Mrs. Doubtfire for the first time and the woman who is now my wife who I was had a crush on but was not dating at the time saw Pierce Brosnan's hairy chest and was like disgusting and I was like oh like oh, man. Heart, a little heartbreak it's hard out there for us it's hard out there for a furry it's guy. hard it's hard taking showers because <laughs> it clogs the drain it's hard yeah uh, you got to change your sheets, or else that's going to build up in the yeah. corners. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hard out there for a fuzzy boy. But uh, Franji was in the film Serpico, in a, oh. in, a, in a very small part. Okay, and he was also on a few episodes of the Serpico television show. There was a Serpico television show. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, weird. I know. Yeah, was Al Pacino in it? No. Why would he be? I, I That's don't, not how I TV don't, shows work. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Pletchner is the lot security guard. Uh-huh. And this scene is fucking hilarious where he's trying to dress down Otto. He says, uh, three times decorated in two world wars. <laughs> which would make him about 80. <laughs> <laughs> and he served as a guard at Attica. Yeah. Another Al Pacino <laughs> for te- connection. For, exactly. Um, and just no one gives a shit about Pletchner. No, because he's he sucks. Yeah, uh, it's not going to be a punk movie unless you're shitting on uh, even a rent a cop. Even yeah. a rent a cop. Yeah. The Rodriguez brothers are getting hot driving around in the Malibu. Mm-hmm. They stop to get some sodas and make a call. They specifically say that they're getting hot because there's something in the trunk that's heating up. Yes. Meanwhile, Otto's hoodlum friends are hoofing it away from stealing a ton of medication. <laughs> they run past the Malibu and steal it. Yeah. Uh, Otto and Light have a little scene. Uh, I love Cy Richardson, who plays Light. Oh my god, he's so good. He's so perfect, he's so smooth, he's so cool. He should have been a black exploitation star. He should have been. And in one of my favorite scenes, Otto's trying to repo a car, and he starts taking shots. The window oh, gets and, shot out. And we missed, there was a monologue earlier that Cy Richardson had where he said, people don't think I'm a cop, people think I'm here to kill somebody, and I'll kill anybody. People know I'm not a cop. Yeah. They think I'm there to kill him. Yeah. And I would. <laughs> Which is set up for this scene. Yeah. Uh, so he starts taking fire. Light rolls up. Otto's screaming for Light to open the door. The door's locked. He can't get in the car. He's just screaming and screaming. <laughs> and Light says, You're still on the job, white boy. Get in the car. <laughs> it's just amazing. And he's fu- he has a gun out. He's firing he's shots firing into the house. Back. It's, it's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. And, uh, okay, another scene with Cy Richardson that we, we kind of skipped over, which is, I, I really loved. I'm I'm a fan of, I'm a huge fan of Sherlock Holmes, mm. to the point where I watch some of the more inferior versions of Sherlock Holmes as well. So I've seen, like, almost every episode of Elementary, and I'm in the middle of re-watching it, because <laughs> I'm that hung up on Sherlock Holmes as a character. But one of the running things in that show is that Sherlock is being taught how to break into cars by a former car thief. Mm-hmm. And I like that element, but in how to get around the car alarm. But in this movie, there's a scene with Cy Richardson where you get to see him actually do it. Yeah. And in Sherlock, they always kind of skip over that part. I guess so not to show people how to break into a car. But I love that, and I wish that was more of an element in elementary of showing him actually like getting in and the alarm going off and having to unscrew the whole fucking thing and get yeah. in there and start the car that scene was so fucking good oh it, yeah having him open their briefcase and it's it's got his 
his extremely shiny gun, but it's also <laughs> got like all of his equipment and all of that stuff to break yeah, in. The it's great the car. And it's great. The differences between Psy and Bud, Bud has this code, Bud is very rigid. Yeah. And at one point, Otto even asks Bud, like, do you think all repo men follow the code? And he goes, of course, of course. And yeah. Cy Richardson is the complete opposite, complete opposite from Bud. Yeah. And it's great that we see these different views. In fact, uh, uh, Bud even says, setting up uh, Cy's line about being a cop, or but not being a cop. He yeah. says, dress like a detective, they'll think you're packing. Yeah, dress kind of, just a little square. Yeah, which is why also, even though Emilio Estevez starts out the movie with an earring and wearing like muscle shirts and shit, almost immediately after becoming a Repo Man, he starts wearing a suit and yeah. tie, which, again, very anti-punk thing to do. Exactly. And he still has the earring. Does he? I thought he got rid of the earring. I believe he does. Okay. It's not a... It, if, it, if he does, it's a shorter earring. It's not a dangly earring yeah. anymore like he had in the beginning. Also, the line, you're still on the job, white boy, giving yeah. the car. Yes. Improvised. Alex Scott is like... great. You gotta say something here. Just come up with something that Light would say. Yeah. And fucking perfect. What a perfect line. Now, Harry Dean Stanton mm-hmm. was originally supposed to do this scene. Oh. But Alex was angry at Harry Dean Stanton... Because of something we will discuss later. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he just was driving with light in the scene instead of with Bud. And back at the lot, after all this goes down, Emilio Estevez is fucking killing it with Otto sort of like Otto's so shaken up, he's pacing back and forth, he's drinking, he's like yeah. just like that was that was a bit severe light, like <laughs> how do you feel about Emilio Estevez's performance? I think he did a great job. He does a great I, I job. Think he, I think um, there are weird notes to his performance, but like this movie is so weird and such the tone is so yeah. off. Not off as in like bad, but off as in off kilter. Yeah. That it perfectly matches the film. Oh, like, yeah. All the little weird, like you said, like there's one scene earlier on in the movie where he's just randomly wearing a novelty Chinatown hat. Yeah. And you said that was just something that he brought. That was an actor choice by Emilio. Yeah, and it's great. It's perfect for that moment because he's just sitting there in the rain looking at a newspaper and he's got this fucking dumbass hat on Yeah, that looks like something you get from Party City. Do you think the role of Otto is a heavy lifting role? Do you think it's hard to portray that sort of waftiness, that sort of nothingness of a character while also being charismatic enough to draw people into the film i would have as an actor i would have to try it before i could give you an answer of that. okay i don't know that i would right now my guess is uh uh i think i'll just say this i think there are other people who could have played otto as well, okay. Uh, I do. I do think that Emilio Estevez was the right choice. Yeah. I think he's. I think if you went with a more established actor than him, or or a more famous actor than him, you wouldn't have someone who would make choices like he did. Yeah. But uh, I think that, for instance, if you had like a young John Cusack in the film, he would have been just as good. Maybe that's another alternative. Uh, yeah version i'd have to watch sure john um, there there are a couple of lines especially that one line where uh light shot into the window and he says you sh- don't you feel weird about shooting people you man you could have killed him he's you like, could have killed him he's like yes so what if i did what if he's i like, did well it's a bit severe it's a bit severe isn't it <laughs> like that's a very john cusack line yeah <laughs> but light reveals that he was shooting blanks yeah 
Otto gives the great line, you repo men, man, you're all out to fucking lunch. <laughs> Alright, let's play another game. Okay. Fuck, Mary kill. Oh, okay. Bud, Light, and Miller. Bud, Light, and Miller. Ah, uh, um... Which one's Miller again? Miller's the mechanic. Oh, right. Okay, I'm gonna kill off Bud because he's a son of a bitch, and I couldn't I couldn't listen to him talk for too long. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to be in a marriage with that. I, I yeah, exactly. And to fuck like I don't think there's much there under that suit. Um, I would definitely fuck Light. Oh yeah, because he's he's a he's a bad motherfucker, mm-hmm. and he knows his way around. Uh, he he he. Apparently has gotten familiar with their secretary before. Yes, <laughs> she says in one line, and then uh, I would marry Miller because I think he's a peaceful soul who would give me much wisdom in my declining years. That's what I'd go with. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the correct choice. We see Layla walking down the street. She answers a ringing public phone. The voice on the other end is garbled. She realizes she's about fifty feet away from J. Frank Parnell. Mm. Who's in another phone booth using a scrambler, which just makes his his dialogue go backwards. It's just incomprehensible. It's just incomprehensible. It's a scrambler, but it doesn't help anything. Some G-men try to run him over. Then they pursue and abduct Layla. Yes. At the repo lot, the guys are drinking heavily. Heavily. Light is just drinking out of a liquor bottle. Yes. Uh, they're singing Jingle Bells and giving <laughs> Miller a haircut. <laughs> they ask Otto who beat him up. Marlene, yeah. the secretary at the lot, played by Vanetta McGee. She's um, so cool. Now, during my Clint Eastwood phase, okay. I almost watched a movie with Vanetta McGee okay. called The Iger Sanction, oh. where she plays the unfortunately named Jemima Brown. Uh, yeah. I'm not okay with that. No, it's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that was one of the very earliest, like, interracial romantic couplings oh, in film. Okay. They they sort of passingly mentioned something about that on the commentary. I'm not sure. Okay. Good but, for her. Uh, she asked why Pletchner doesn't do something. Isn't he a cop or something? <laughs> and Bud says, Repo Man don't go run into the man, Marlene. Repo Man goes alone. And in a fucking line reading I've come to love, Light goes... Yes, sirree, Bob. <laughs> so they do it like John Wayne. Marlene says, just like John Wayne. Mm-hmm. The guys sing the praises of John Wayne until, and then again, Miller. Content warning for a homophobic slur. Yes. John Wayne was a fag. What did you say, Miller? Uh, what? John Wayne was a fag. The hell he was. And Miller tells a story about how he went to install two-way mirrors in John Wayne's house. And he came to the door in, the, in a dress. And Oli responds with another one of my favorite lines that I think about constantly. Ah, uh, you're fucking nuts. Oh, that doesn't yeah. mean he was a homo, Miller. Don't a lot of straight guys like to watch their buddies fuck. They do? No, I do. Yeah. Now this story... <laughs> this story was a story that Alex Cox heard from somebody okay. who owned a glass company. Alright. So another... Again, another one of these iconic set pieces in the movie yeah. is something that Cox took wholesale from right. someone else. And so how how do you feel about that? How does that... Is it the brilliance of appropriation, the brilliance of knowing when to use something? Or is it does it take the shine off of uh, Alex Cox to 
know that some of the most iconic moments in this film, even though they might not have aged as well, mm-hmm. even though they might be sort of offensive. Yeah. Um, I I don't uh, have a problem with it, really, because, again, it comes together to make a good product in the end. And in my opinion, like... Okay, so uh, I have not seen anything from Alex Cox. This is my introduction to Alex Cox. I never even heard of the guy before we started talking about make, uh, watching this movie and doing mm-hmm. this podcast. So uh, I don't have as much of an attachment or a shine to have rub off for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just sort of like when Gene Hackman went and did uh, research for his role in French Connection. He said he, he picked up a lot of mannerisms and stuff from the detective that he did a ride-along with to, to prepare for that movie. Gotcha. So a director going around, or even a writer going around and picking up things from other people, none of Shakespeare's plays are original. No. All of them are based on pre-existing stories. But the 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 lines are Shakespeare. That is true, yes. It, it's not that Alex Cox is taking the concept of being a repo man and that's his inspiration, or it's like there's this vague story of like, one time there was this crazy reward for Chevy Malibu. Right. It's it's taking lines wholesale. That is true. That that is a good point. I I, I guess I don't know uh, how I feel about that. I, I all I can say is I'm happy with the product he made, and that uh, it did come together. And and yeah, I think there is a, a good amount of genius to knowing when to use something like that. Uh, on the other hand. It could be a Kevin Smith clerk situation where some of the most brilliant moments in that movie just happened because he was like, I don't know if I'll ever make a movie again. I guess I'll do this now. Yeah, true. So uh, the fact that he is Silent Bob is because I don't know if I'll ever make a movie again. I might as well be in this one. True. It could be that Alex Cox was like, I don't know if I'll ever make a movie again. This is a movie that I'm making now with enough money behind with one of the monkeys. This is one's got monkey power. Yeah. Uh, so I'm making this movie. Uh, I might as well put this funny story in because it's the funniest story I know. Let's just put it in. Maybe it wasn't brilliant. Maybe it was just let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Maybe. Yeah. And I'm coming at it from a different place where I've loved this movie for, for years. For yeah, exactly. A decade plus. Yeah. So it's like, well, I have to, and I who have sought out other work. Actually, I think I watched Straight to Hell first. Oh. Uh, because I wanted, to, because I was like, Joe Strummer and Shane McGowan are in it. I love both those guys. I need to see this movie because I also love movies. Yeah, we've all made that mistake. Yeah. So, and then not even knowing they were the same person, I think, I stumbled yeah. on Repo Man. But, um, so I, I have to consider, like, well, how much of this movie I love comes from mm-hmm. sources other than the creator. Right. But yeah. Otto doesn't want to say who beat him up. But the guys literally force him to tell, like literally, like literally, like threaten him with bodily harm if they don't tell him. Yeah. Otto tells him it, it was his old boss at the grocery store, and they go to beat him up. <laughs> Otto goes to meet with Layla and the government agent lady, Agent Rogers. Yes. Played by Susan Barnes. Mm-hmm. They're in a club, and a shitty lounge act is playing, <laughs> which is actually the Circle Jerks. Yes. Playing a lounge version of their song when the shit hits the fan. That's great. Now, this lineup of the Circle Jerks, uh-huh. this is the only time this particular lineup has been together. Oh, okay. Where they, it was, um, I don't know the whole personnel. I'm not a huge Circle Jerks fan. Okay. Who doesn't like a good Circle Jerk? 
But they, uh, whenever someone talks about this moment, they mentioned that they had a legendary drummer with them named Chuck Biscuits, who okay. played with a lot of LA hardcore and punk bands at the time. Sure. This version of the Circle Jerks is playing three acoustic guitars <laughs> and using a drum machine. <laughs> play a lounge version of their song when the shit hits the van oh my god and i actually love this song and the way it's sung like it's pretty funny it's fucking great and emilio estevez says i can't believe i used to like these guys <laughs> uh, layla and the agent are trying to get info out of Otto. Otto is bullied by his hoodlum friends yep when the friends leave duke says uh fuck this let's go do some crimes <laughs> Another iconic line. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Frank is trying to get his car back from the gang when mm -hmm. they accost him. He tricks them into opening the trunk, which Archie does and is vaporized. Mm -hmm. Debbie and Duke run off. Yes. And another iconic exchange. Come on, Duke. Let's go do those crimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go get sushi and not pay. <laughs> Again, Amazing. satirizing and underscoring the ridiculousness and poser quality that comes inherent in punk music. Yeah. Even though we have seen these people committing actual crimes before. Right. This is their idea of like, yeah, let, let's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's just like, yeah, it's all that let's go. Yeah. Crime. Uh, let, let's dine and dash. Let's dine and dash. Yeah. Jay Frank drives off. Yes. Only to be found by the Rodriguez brothers. They're driving alongside him. The guys who are out avenging Otto run into the Rodriguez brothers as well. Okay, and we have to talk about this for a second because I, this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Okay. We cut to the gang in their car driving along, uh, the, the gang of Repo Men, in their car. Now, up until now, with a few exceptions of scenes, we've only ever seen them on the job with Otto. Mm -hmm. And every time... They are monologuing about their life philosophy to Otto. Yes. Or just like, and whenever Otto's interacting with him, they're always telling him something. They're always trying to teach him something. In this scene, we see them all out on the job, even though it's a job to beat up someone, together in a car. And they're all talking at once, and none of them are listening <laughs> to a single thing anyone ever... So you see why they like Otto, because Otto is such a, a void of a person. Yeah. He's such a sponge that they can impart all this so-called shitty wisdom yeah. that they have. And I, I banged into the mic there. But like, just, just, just lay all this out, and he will just be quiet and listen. So none of them are friends with no. Otto. None of, them, none of them respect Otto. But you, Bud is very attached to Otto. Bud is very attached to Otto, but it's because Otto just listens when he talks. True. In this scene, you see that they can't stand each other because whenever they're working with each other, they all just talk and nobody's listening to anything. Bud's talking about his shitty capitalistic views. Uh, Oli's telling a joke about a pig with a wooden leg. Nobody's listening to any of this shit. And I fucking love that Oh, Always great. I think that is... An essential scene to the movie. It was fantastic. And we talked about in the Meet the Hollowheads episode about how mm -hmm. there are so many performances that are fucking amazing that get lost yeah. by actors that people will never hear of. Yes. And Repo Man is a fucking amazing example of that, just like Meet the Hollowheads, where aside from Harry Dean Stanton, Emilio Estevez, 
Miguel Sandoval, who plays Archie, the vaporized punk, yeah. uh, went on to be in like Clear and Present Danger and stuff like that. Oh, good for him. But for the most part, these guys are just bit players. Yes. But Oli, Cy Richardson, uh, Tracy Walter as Miller, all fucking fantastic. Oh, And here Amazing. we see them like, all getting firing on all cylinders at each other. It's like yeah. it's like playing different music on four different stereos that's and just exactly, having them blare at each that's other. That's exactly what it sounds like when you're watching it. So uh, they spot the Rodriguez brothers and decide it's time for a rumble. <laughs> Bud mostly decides, and he's behind the wheel. So yeah, Bud has the real axe to grind uh, here. They force him off the road. The guys get out of the car with baseball bats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rodriguez brothers tell them that this car is legally theirs, so they are assaulting them for no reason because this isn't a repo car. Yeah. And and they have the papers on the car, but apparently in between that time and this, they have now paid off the car. Yes. And Bud is swinging his bat. He wants to fucking bash in the... Uh, yeah. He put a dent in the hood of the R- Rodriguez brothers' uh, Ford Falcon. Okay. But here's where the big contention with Harry Dean Stanton happened. Oh. Because during this scene, Harry Dean Stanton was supposed to use a rubber bat. Okay. But he insisted on using a real one. Okay. Absolutely refused to use a rubber one. And the actors were fine with it. Del Zamora, who who, uh, one of the Rodriguez brothers, who he was swinging at, was okay with it. Oh, okay. But Robbie Mueller, the director of photography, came up to Alex Cox and was like, I felt the wind from this bat swing on my face. I'm not shooting this unless there's a rubber bat. Uh-huh. So Alex Cox had to switch the bat out and got in this big argument. And here's where like, there was this little tug of war oh with the God. bat. And... I'm not sure if it was during this argument or some other argument where, according to Alex Cox, who might not always tell the truth... Might not. But apparently Harry Dean Stanton said this to Cox. I've worked with the greatest directors, Francis Ford Coppola, Monty Hellman. You know why they're great? Because they let me do what I want. See, I don't necessarily buy that. I don't know. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Other people's... Well, other people back up the bat incident. Right. I haven't heard other people back up that quote. Interesting. And apparently Harry Dean Stanton also insisted, Harry Dean Stanton only uses real bats. As if that was a hardline rule. What a strange, um, what a strange thing to say. But this is the time when Alex Cox began to view Harry Dean Stanton as dangerous uh-huh. And wanted to fire him and uh-huh. cut Bud out of the movie. Uh-huh. But someone was like, hey, if you try to fire Harry Dean Stanton, you will get fired because you already have him on camera. You can't fire one of your stars halfway through the movie when all this principal photography is already done. Right, right. So, like I said before, Harry Dean Stanton was originally supposed to be in that Cy Richardson scene where right. he's firing the gun. Yeah. But... Alex Cox was cutting Harry Dean out of scenes at that point. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how many other scenes he was supposed to be in. I'm not sure. I wonder if it was originally supposed to be just a buddy film between him and uh, Otto. And I don't eventually think Eventually, so. more characters got more stuff to do. I don't think so. The All the stuff with Light feels like 
natural. It feels like we're going to show the two different sides. That doesn't feel like an off-the-cuff thing. It does, but at the same time, you're still on the job. White boy sounds like a line of dialogue, and True. apparently that's improvised, so we don't fucking know. But we eventually we know that they must have at least ironed things out somewhat because Harry Dean's in the majority of this movie. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And I honestly cannot imagine the movie without him. Oh, no. It, it, like I said, his his performance is a big part of why I fell in love with this movie. Of course. The next day, Bud gets fired. Yeah. Otto and Bud are driving together. and He gets fired specifically because the Rodrigo brothers are bringing action against them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Here we see a lot of Bud's codependency on Otto, where he's very very mood-swingy, very uh, mm-hmm. bipolar with Otto. And he's, he's ranting about how... Look at all these bums. Wonder yeah. how much they owe. If there was only a way we could find it out and yeah. make them pay. And and again, the moment he turns on Otto is the first moment in the movie that Otto answers back. True. Otto disagrees with them. He's just like they're just bums. They're, yeah, they're, just, they're, they're just they're just poor people. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And Bud yeah. starts going, "What? You don't don't you like your job anymore?" Yeah. He just starts freaking out on him. And Otto, because he just goes where the wind blows him. As soon as there's some resistance. And he even says, we used to be friends. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I could teach you something. In the beginning, I thought you could teach because he never talked back to him. He just said, yes, boss. As soon as Otto faces any interpersonal resistance, whether it's from his boss or his girlfriend or Bud, mm-hmm. he immediately leaves. Just goes. He, he just fucks off. He's in the driver's seat of this car. He just pops yeah, out just, and walks away. Yeah. Like a bitch. <laughs> and Yeah. No, he is a bitch. Uh, do you want to play another round of repo? Let's pay, play a round of repo. Okay, you are repossessing a car from... Of course I am. Nicholas Cage. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is my most dangerous repossession yet. I should mention... Okay. ...that this car is pre-stored in Nicholas Cage's pyramid, which he bought to be buried in. Or had constructed to be buried in. What? So he has it in the afterlife with him. Is there even a way to drive this out of the pyramid? I mean, that's up to you, Repo Man. Is it on the ground floor, or is it, a, like, higher up? It's, like, in the middle. It's in the garage level. Okay. Garages are usually in the middle of things, I think. Okay, well, uh, let's let's imagine that this, that this pyramid has a, a car elevator so I can actually get this car out of the building without causing harm to the vehicle, because that's, you know, Repo Man's so code. So you're choosing to follow the code. I'm choosing to follow the code. Um... Nicholas Cage will probably not be at the pyramid. No. Because he'll probably be off working on uh, a, a thousand movies at once, uh, all of them with a budget of $2. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I will probably just tell the security guard that I'm sure is there that I am uh, an inspector, a health inspector, uh, and uh, get inside that way and then steal the car, and then just drive away while the security guard uh, uh, gibbers uh, in, in infinitely. I'll give you one point. Okay. Because of your daring bluff to the security guard. <laughs> but what you should have done is okay. posed as Anubis. Oh! And said that you were here early oh. to get the heart weighing done, because you were... You got some free time, and you're like, let's get some work done early so I can have a three-day weekend. Did I have a question. Yes. Did Nicolas Cage actually make a pyramid to be buried in? I believe he has a pyramid or had a pyramid. Oh, my God. And I assume it is for burial. 
That is amazing. That is, I knew he bought an island, but I didn't know about the pyramid. That's great. Good for Nicolas Cage. So Otto runs out, went, gets out of the car and runns away. Yep. And ends up running into J. Frank Parnell, who stops the car and lets him in. Well, first, he walks down uh, a street completely ignoring the dead bodies lying all around him. That men in hazmat suits are carrying and monologuing about the experience of encountering this dead body as they put it into their van. It was just tremendous. Just a tremendous scene. But yes, then he runs into uh, the scientist. And here, Fox Harris, again, this is a performance that could have been lost to time if Repo Man were not, didn't get its cult status. Fox Harris delivers this brilliant monologue about neutron bombs and lobotomies lobotomies and this he the wonderful, wonderful phrase half baked goggle box do gooders. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> that is so, everything. <laughs> and here's where like obviously Alex Cox didn't pull this monologue from anybody. This is yes. pure him. This is and pure this him. is fucking brilliant. It is. But essentially, we find out that this scientist had a lobotomy at one point. Yes, and, and he is the creator of the neutron bomb, a bomb that destroys people but leaves property a okay. Yeah, an incredibly capitalist conceit. Yes, um, and that he, uh, and and he's he talks he does this monologue telling it as if it's about a friend. Yeah, but then uh, Emilio Estevez asks him, "What kind of car did the friend drive?" Uh, which you had to explain this to me because yeah. I did not get it the first time. He says a, a Chevy Malibu. Yeah. Oh no, it's him. And it's just this. And he talks about humans, radiation being good for you. Yeah. Everyone can stand a hundred chest X-rays a year, and they should get them too. Oh. And it's it's so fucking funny and it's brilliant. So funny. And he's, he's deteriorating, and he's Clearly. Looney Tunes, yeah. and it's brilliant. I wish Fox Harris were in more things. And then after all that time chasing down Fox Harris, all the the pivotal role that he's had in the movie up until now, he just dies. And Otto pulls him out of the car and just leaves him on a bench. And then in the moment that was probably just the actor driving, they do kind of run into a mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Otto drives the Malibu to the repo lot where it is eventually stolen. And we don't really see who stole it, but... No, and this is sort of a plot hole in the movie... Where it's like, who stole that car? It's implied to be Bud, but that doesn't really make sense because we see Bud driving later and it doesn't seem to be the Malibu, but I'm not sure. He he stole it, he drives it, and he stows it somewhere. But it seems to be stowed at the hospital, which wouldn't make sense. And then he gets in a different car, I guess, and drives around. I don't know. But uh, it doesn't fucking matter. In one of my, probably my favorite scene in the movie, Otto and Bud meet up and go to a liquor store. Yes. Debbie and Duke burst in to rob the place. Mm-hmm. Bud pulls out a gun, and here's where I made the note. Wait, I thought Bud didn't carry guns. Yeah, well... Because he mentions earlier that uh, he doesn't carry a gun because only an asshole gets killed over a car. Right, right, right. But he has a gun. Yep. The security well, guard... Bud from- is a liar, as we know. True. <laughs> the security guard from the grocery store is there. Uh-huh. He pulls a gun. Debbie shoots Bud in the ear. Duke shoots the guard. The guard shoots Duke. The clerk shoots Duke. Debbie shoots the clerk. And Debbie leaves as the single hardest person in this fucking movie. She is bloodthirsty. She is cold as shit. (laughs) 
Like she is in a in a movie full of men doing intense work. She is the single most most ruthless person. Yeah, the the women in this movie are badass. Yeah, I will say beautifully choreographed gunfight. It's fucking great. So much product is smashed. It's smashed. It looks like it's done very cheaply. Yeah, but it's done artfully. Yes, and that is the key to filmmaking is. Yep making it work and it looks fucking great yeah and uh does Otto go to Bud who has been shot <laughs> no he goes to his friend Duke and Duke is dying and he says one of the best exchanges in cinema history <laughs> the lights are growing dim <laughs> I know a life of crime led me to the sorry fate and yet I blame society <laughs> society made me what I am and Otto says that's bullshit you're a white suburban punk, just like me. And Duke says, Yeah, but it still hurts. After this, many things happen very quickly. Okay. Um, eventually, Otto finds Bud mm -hmm. in the Malibu, which is now glowing radioactive green. Great. Bud gets gunned down by the feds. Yes. There's a great bit where... Uh, and they repeat the line, No, don't only an asshole dies for a car. Uh, yep, Otto uh, to drag him out of the car. And after he gets shot, uh, Harry Dean mutters the Emiliano Zapato line, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Yes, yes, yes. And in a brilliant bit of little detail, the repo men roll up. This is in the repo lot. Yeah. Light comes to Bud, who has been shot, yeah. and says, uh, do you want a beer? And Bud says, no, no, cigarette. <laughs> the car is going critical. It's giving yep. off electricity and setting people on fire. With a great effect there, with one of the one of the uh, people in the hazmat suits being set on fire. So so good, such a good visual. The car even defeats a trio of spiritual leaders. Yes, uh, the the televangelist from the TV broadcast comes over and and show puts the Bible up to the car and it, it lights it, it, it on it fire. Lights it on fire. And in another one of my favorite moments in the entire movie, the part that put this movie over the edge for me in the background we see uh one of the agents talking to another official who's yeah. there i don't think he's part of the same organization but who who cares and he is saying the same things to him that light was saying to otto earlier in the yeah. film about this one book diuretics which is a takeoff of dianetics which is yes. the scientology manual there you go. And talking about that in different passages that they find meaningful and how much they love this job, which is a reference back to Bud, uh, and and all this stuff, and essentially, once again, putting in, in light that all of these stooges of this capitalistic society nightmare that we live in are all just stooges. Yeah. They're all just stooges going about their day justifying the horrible stupid, shitty jobs that they have to themselves. Everyone's a shitty rube who's yeah. trying to fuck over somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, but it... It's a it's a horribly dark message, and I fucking love it. But the cynicism yeah. does not show in the movie. Like, you don't no. watch this and you go like, well, that was a fucking depressing meditation on how people are shitty to each other, and this is a dark comedy. No, this is a comedy comedy. Yeah, no, it's not Martin. No, no. It's this is this is like a punk song. Punk yeah. songs are famous for having really depressing nihilistic messages, but at the same time being very upbeat and bouncy. 
And that's what this movie is. It's an upbeat, bouncy message of nihilism. Now, the grow- glowing green effect on the car was a uh, practical effect. They just painted. I thought so. They just painted the Malibu in very expensive, reflective green paint. Wow. And that's how that was achieved. Now, another alternate version of this movie. Okay. Muhammad Ali was in the area that they were filming in. Okay. And uh, they were the crew were like, "Let's try to get him in the movie." What? <laughs> so they go to him, and they explain the movie and they explain what he would be doing. And he would have been with the religious leaders, with the televangelists, the Catholic priests, and the rabbi. Okay. As, like, this great almost Simpsons bit where it's like, the car's so strong, we need to send our greatest spiritual leaders and Muhammad Ali. (laughs) And even Muhammad Ali would be defeated by the car. Oh, no. And Muhammad Ali very politely declined. Probably for the best. Yeah. Wow, what a weird moment that would have been. Miller approaches the car and is not affected because no. he knows the truth about UFOs and time machines and all of this. He gets in and Otto gets in with him. Well, Otto first says, you can't drive. And uh, Miller just like sort of looks at him knowingly. Yeah. Which and is great. Otto gets in the car and they fly off over L.A. And yeah. Otto says, this is intense. And Miller... Last line of the film, life of a repo man's always intense. Mm-hmm. And we close with Iggy Pop's wonderful theme. In a star field, implying that they're flying off into space. Yep. Now, some random facts. Sure. There are a few alternate endings. I figured. In a lot of the endings, the car would explode and take out L.A. Mm-hmm. Okay. In one of the endings, Otto becomes a revolutionary and goes to South America. Don't buy it for a second. Well, there was... There are a few scenes where we see that the Rodriguez brothers and Marlene, the secretary from the repo office, yeah. are involved in this sort of revolutionary force. Oh, okay. So they w- that, that. W- that would be the connection. We especially see that at the end where they're like breaking Otto out of the torture chamber. and Yes, they were working together all of a sudden. Yeah. A while after the movie came out, Alex Cox got a call from the actual inventor of the neutron bomb, oh, Sam Cohen, who loves the film. Good for him. His two favorite movies are Dr. Strangelove and Repo Man. This man has very predictable tastes. Yes. <laughs> and from there's there's a feature the one feature on the Criterion disc I did not watch is the deleted scenes where it has an introduction or commentary by Alex Cox, Dick Rude, mm-hmm. and Sam Cohen, the inventor of the neutron bomb. Oh my bomb. god! <laughs> but from the from the little bit that Alex Cox has talked about Sam Cohen, the inventor of the neutron bomb, uh-huh. the man sounds fucking insane. He sounds actually like J. Frank Parnell. Really? Yes. Um, so, and also, the man who invented the neutron bomb got a medal from the Pope. For Why? His, for his weapon, for his murder weapon. That's a terrible thing for the Pope to give an award for. Jimmy Buffett is in this movie. Where? He's one of the agents. Oh, good for Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, what a fucking weird detail. Uh, yeah. Um, Alex Cox showed this movie to the repo men he knew. Okay. And they were not impressed. They felt that it didn't accurately portray the danger that they were constantly in. 
they probably felt like the movie showed them up to be assholes, and they probably are. I don't think they were concerned about that. They were just okay. like, it doesn't. It's more dangerous than that. Yeah, they wanted to look cooler. Now there are two sequels to Repo Man. Yes. One is called Waldo's Hawaiian Holiday, which was hilarious. Which was. I've heard conflicting things about when this project was sort of trying to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. Sometime in the 90s, yes. uh, Alex Cox began writing the script called Waldo's Hawaiian Holiday. Mm -hmm. Waldo was a stand-in name for Otto. Yes, Otto, the same character, was going to be played by Emilio Estaves. Yeah. um, But he... It's called Waldo now. Uh And it didn't happen. Universal said no, and they owned the rights. Yeah. So he couldn't do it independently. Uh, Emilio Estevez didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said the script didn't make sense, which I sort of agree with. Mm-hmm. But the script was eventually turned into a graphic novel illustrated okay. by um, Christopher Bones and Justin Randall. And I read this yes. just yesterday. Yes. And I fucking hate it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Everything that's great about the film, the energy, the wit, the satire, it's also unnecessarily called a sequel because there's Fuck almost all the no the connection. Yeah. Except if you didn't know that Waldo was supposed to be Otto, yeah. there would be no connection. Right, right. Except he goes back to his parents' place and it sort of looks the same a little bit. Okay. And they're sort of hippy-dippy. Sure. Um, but yeah, so that exists. And there's also the... 2009 film Repo Chick mm. uh, a pseudo sequel because again doesn't have the rights right. can't make an actual sequel that features a couple of actors from the Alex Cox stable it's about a spoiled celebrity heiress who takes on the job as a repo woman Alex Cox's planned budget was 7 million uh-huh. and he made it for under 200k so well, I've not seen it I maybe we'll watch it someday maybe but I'm sure it will be uh, a thing that yes. we will see. But that's everything for Repo Man. Tremendous Any? movie. Tremendous movie. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.